Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Hey, Catherine. How's it going? Hi, Jane. Kia ora. All going well. How about you? Excellent. Yes, very good here. Wow, we are into June now, which means it's nearly rainy season here. Sure is. Or I think it's rainy season in some places, isn't it, already in Japan? I think Okinawa has Mm -hmm. already hit rainy season. Yes. It's very rainy there today. I saw there's like flooding and all sorts of things. Stay safe if you're down there in Okinawa. And here in Tohoku, we won't be seeing rainy season for a little bit uh, more, thankfully. (laughs) Yeah. As you can tell, not a fan. Catherine, you're okay. Not so much. I'm okay with rain, although I just don't like that frizzy hair thing. Oh, you have the frizzy hair. Yeah, I have had a little experience (laughs) of that recently. I'm not liking it. But anyway, I don't mind the rain per se, but you know, here we are. (laughs) So what is happening in Japan that people should be knowing about? Right now, well, some of the big news. Sure, here. you know, I think um, what's been really interesting is that recent first trial of a tour group coming in. Oh yes, it was everyone was like, "Oh yay, tourists!" Oh, yay. not quite yet. Yes, we're going to test it first and make sure that it works. <laughs> and we had four people, was it, on the first group? I think. I think there was it. there was a group there, and then I also saw another group came in from Hawaii as well, uh, a group of five and a family, and that seemed to go fine. But it was the Thai group that had a little issue, little wee problem, and the tour got cancelled, and they're in quarantine right now, yeah. apparently. Yeah. It's, so one yeah. of them got COVID, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. 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 So, well, it's going to happen. Yeah. So, yes. Mm. So I don't know, though. Japan's pretty risk adverse. Even after two years of, or to more than two years of this, you'd think that wouldn't have been a surprise. But it was like, oh, you know, there we go. Yeah, look what happens. Uh. <laughs> so oh, we'll have dear. to see what happens after mm. that, how it's going to be, you know, reacted to and what happens. So let's see. Yes. Even my uh, fifth grade daughter knew that today is the day that. 20,000 arrivals are allowed into Japan instead of just 10,000. I think that might have been news at school or something. That, that is big. Is that, that, that is, school children would know that. That is well, really that, big. Yeah, my fifth grader knew that and oh. said, oh, they're letting in 20,000 arrivals today. So I'm wondering what kind of message <laughs> that was delivered in. But um, anyway, <laughs> Yay, it was news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're waiting to see you around town. We really are. And, you know, I, I hope it does happen. Uh, sooner than we we think we're just got to get to reality don't we and one Mm. other thing of reality Jane is you know June is often a time when all sorts of things change such as you know we've seen a little bit of movement in the market now with some of the things we're buying at the supermarket right yes was it over 8,000 items have seen a price rise in Japan recently yes phenomenal and this is the country of was so adverse to price rises they would rather do anything like yeah. you know <laughs> than raise their prices it's, sure. it's the worst thing you could possibly have to do recently i've seen a lot of the contents of packets disappearing and i have a favorite product that my kids like called jagariko and mm. every time i buy it this is like two grams less in it i'm like how many grams has this gone down and by now <laughs> it's still 100 yen to buy it yeah. 100 yen plus tax yes but it's like instead of being like 100 grams it's like 98 grams or like 97 right. grams it's like damn yeah i just want a decent amount of right. so that's but, very interesting isn't mm. it as a cultural thing that you'd rather shave off 
a couple of grams then raise a price it's yes. quite interesting and to be really knowledgeable about that is very important for people too right i mean this mm. is japanese i mean you'd never get away with that in new zealand we remember right that when somebody reduces a packet size or the contents inside the same packet there's a lot of complaints to the mm. consumer <laughs> yes, what is yes. it those those consumer people consumer and, rights commission yes, yes or something yes, yes. exactly so, and in japan that is a totally valid strategy for not raising your prices but i find it incredibly disappointing i'm like oh for god's sake i just want <laughs> enough jagariko for both my kids you, you know, from one two. packet, like we've you'll always been able to. Yes, when it gets end up to buying two. Grams, you'll be down to buying two. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's what's happening here in Japan. If you're coming from New Zealand, even though the exchange rate is better for travelers coming into Japan, maybe your yen is going to buy about the same as what it bought before. Who knows? But right. I think when they say price rises, we're talking like not huge not. price rises like you could expect to see in New Zealand. You know, with things going up by like four dollars in one year or something exactly. i think it was tasty cheese or something they were talking about mm. had gone up by four dollars in one year that's a lot isn't it mm. I, I noticed one of the items in the eight thousand was mayonnaise and mayonnaise is quite key to a lot of households in japan i don't mm. use it and i know you no, don't we don't we had no. that recent experience where you said, don't buy mayonnaise but i think it could impact restaurants you know that serve mayonnaise with the tonkatsu perhaps maybe yeah, there'll be a little yeah. bit of an increase in menu prices or else the size of the tonkatsu might go down on the plate oh, or sure the amount of mayonnaise you get to dip it into might reduce oh, the sandwiches go. like japanese sandwiches are full of mayonnaise right yeah 7-eleven mm. let's see what happens it could impact there well today in our episode we have one of our team new zealand in japan members on the show and we're going to be talking a little bit more about communications and yeah how to really leverage your New Zealand story but I think you have something really awesome you wanted to share with us about what's happened recently with Prime Minister Ardern's visit to the United States. Well she went to the United States and obviously was speaking at Harvard uh, yes, for the commencement speech thing. and yes. that was a really huge thing she's spoken with President Biden I see BTS was soon in the door after uh, Jacinda was there. So that's interesting. But BTS, yes, they were sharing a very important message about anti-Asian, you know, speech, right. hate speech. And I mm. think it's a really important thing. And um, it was something also that Jacinda did talk about in her speech here. She referred to the Asian New Zealand Foundation's 2020 report on New Zealanders perception mm -hmm. of uh, people in Asia. And they said overwhelmingly that they viewed Japan as the friendliest country in Asia, mm -hmm. uh, which was really cool. And also she referred to research from New Zealand's story that also found that Japanese consumers value New Zealand's care, our openness and our transparency. So, you know, she called that out in the speech at the very beginning, which mm. I really think set the tone about how we want to communicate as countries together, right, as people in these countries. Uh, and she also referred to the companies that she has bringing on that trade mission to Japan, how they really embody the values of New Zealanders that Japanese hold dear. Uh, mm. And she called out quality. She called out care for the environment, care for people, care for innovation and partnership. And those are just wonderful things that I think as New Zealanders here, as we're reconnecting with the world, as you're coming into Japan, communicating those values as a jandal in Japan is going to be really, really important. And so that's why this episode with Louise Hitaka is going to be really 
informational and insightful for our guests listening or our listeners listening. Yes, those people. <laughs> we'll be guests though too. We've found a few who are going to be our guests. So yeah, the conversation there is really important. She does a she does a deep dive um, mm -hmm. into uh, sharing voices of New Zealanders that she does through her work, working with media outlets here. Uh, she helps Kiwis prepare for their media messaging in Japan. You know, she talks about how framing your message is really important. So you'll get some real pro tips from her. Mm, yeah, and a great contact. So Louise is really happy to hear from Kiwis who are um, perhaps in Japan or coming to Japan. She would love to hear from you. So this is a really exciting episode for us to share with you. So let's, let's, let's yeah, let's get into it. Kia ora, Louise. Kia ora, nice to see you guys. Great to have you on the show today. We have a quick question to start with to get you warmed up. A or B, which are you? Ryokan or hotel? Oh, hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big fan of sleeping on tatami, sorry. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I can't agree. I have to say, yokan. Yeah, I, I suspect yeah. you might. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good yokan, but yeah, some have better futons than others. And if I know they have a good futon, I'll definitely prefer to stay there. But it's it's such a great experience once you know how to enjoy the well, yokan. Yeah. The the problem for me is I'm vegetarian. Actually, I'm, I'm mostly vegan these days, and that's a bit tough for many yokan. They have to really lay out a special meal for you. And um, it can be a bit tough sometimes. It is tough to, yeah, especially yeah. if you, you're there for all your meals as well. Exactly. Yeah. And most mm. of all, kind of that's, you know, you're either having to ask them to go out and come for some of the food or you're asking them to make special exceptions. Not hotel. <laughs> mm. How about you, Catherine? You're going to a hotel. I'm, I'm torn on this one. I feel like both. I can't have both, can I? <laughs> yeah. A or B. Come on. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to opt for hotel just because it's so easy and convenient. And when you pack your bag, you can have it actually up on a bed at your height. I find the ryokan when you're bending down on or down on the tatami mat trying to repack your suitcase, that frustrates me. But the rest <laughs> of the ryokan experience I love. So overall, I think hotel's got the edge on it. Yeah, if you're traveling with a family of four, ryokan is quite good because everybody can have their own bed. Whereas mm. in a hotel, you really do struggle to find a room where everybody can sleep in their own bed and they'll that's be sleeping true. on a little roll away or something like that. So that's something that appeals to me about Yokans as well. If you've got a, we, we were a family five and my kids are mm. not, oh my God. Um, quite that little anymore, but no, true. When we did travel with them, a real car was often cheaper and, you know, they can run around. There's more space them to run around because you don't have beds sort of blocking this know the shows so certainly with with kids i think with a younger family mm. yokan has a lot to be said for it yeah yeah my so, kids love a good yokan experience they're always up to walk around in their yukatas and yes. go in the onsen and all of that mm. so well yeah. that's where you've got me is the onsen going into the hot pool yeah yeah, yeah the baths mm. at the yokan is really delicious and i guess for every kiwi or anybody coming to japan they should definitely do a yokan experience yes well, this day once yeah and the thing is, a lot of the hotels these days in the um, tourist areas do have offero as well. They have the um, the hot springs, so yeah, you the can have a hybrid. Yeah. You can have a hybrid experience. You can mm. have a bed if you want it, and you can yeah. have the offero too. So it's it's almost not like one or the other anymore. Mm. Yes. Wow, there we go. My hybrid. I'm going to look for the hybrid that I can do both <laughs> of those. Then, Louise, it sounds so so cool. 
So we're so happy to have you here. Um, the reason we have you here on the show, of course, is you're a long-term resident of Japan, I think more than 25 years now, um, right? Yep. I don't want to date myself, but yes. <laughs> well, I'm 20 and Jane is too, but you yeah. know, you're so experienced as a writer for news media here, corporate clients and for educational content. Right. And you're also doing cross-cultural work with university here. And it's so important to have that cross-cultural understanding, um, right. probably underrated for living, but also for business work. As exactly. Well. And it's not just the um, the business person, it's the partner, the spouse, the kids, you know, teenagers, try bringing teenagers, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of things to think about. Exactly. If your family's um, not happy, it's very hard to be happy exactly. in all the work that you're doing as well. Right. Exactly. And we yeah. also know, because we see your name all over the newspaper, because you are a regular columnist and uh, features writer for the Japan Times, which I'm a subscriber to. Yay, thank you. Um, it is Japan's <laughs> leading English newspaper and you also contribute to so many other English media, including BBC Storyworks, G Plus Media, All About Japan and the Asian Media Centre. I believe that's right. based in New Zealand. Yes, it's a, a Kiwi, a wonderful Kiwi site with um, various articles about Asia. Actually, I started from corporate publishing and uh, cut my teeth as an editor there, working on other, other people's stuff. Wow. And I still do quite a lot of that, you know, because the textbook yeah. and education market here is big. And, yes. you know, having experienced people who can, you know, who've raised kids and have been through the system themselves and, you know, the editors often want to work in Japanese. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a completely different sector, obviously, than the the news media yeah. or, or information media aimed at the non-Japanese population. So. Brilliant, utilising your skills and your expertise. Mm. And so you're doing yep. the textbooks and the study materials for Japanese market and those right. cross-cultural training programs, as we mentioned. And so tell us about your inspiration for coming on over to Japan. You could have chosen any country in the world, but here you are in Japan. <laughs> so what's brought you to be a Jandal in Japan? Tell us about how you got going and all the rest of it. I came on a working holiday. I was 18 originally. I did major in Japanese, so I was excited to come here and check it out. You know, this was an era when, you know, a young person in Japan, it was the end of the bubble, the World Wish Oyster kind of thing. Loved it. Went back, finished my degree and wanted to work with Japanese and ended up getting a job with a very small company that took me to Japan to train. And that was down in Hiroshima. And that's where my hubby is from. And I met him at a party, <laughs> typical on a story, girl, girl meets boy. I was very young. I was, I was only 20. It was very fast. And uh, we had a year apart once because I went back to New Zealand to finish off my work commitments and then basically stayed, got married and stayed. I'd always wanted to be a writer though. So I do like to think that irrespective of who I'd ended up with and where I'd ended up with, I would have liked to have been a writer. But you know, in New Zealand, as you probably know, um, most people end up being like cover reporters for newspapers and you kind of work your way up from that end, especially when I was going through. So um, if you went to uni, you'd kind of were a bit old to start off as a writer in the media. So I think coming to Japan and going through the educational publishing side, which I did, I spent um, four years working for a major publisher before we end up going to the US again for my spouse's job. So I think cutting my teeth in a publishing company was quite useful. Yeah, yeah you've been an amazing supporter of New Zealanders in Japan. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's the most exciting thing about being a Kiwi for other Kiwis. You know, you can give them a voice. And, you know, there's so many marvellous Kiwis out there, but we often don't get our stories or our voices in the media. So... I'll always go the extra mile for a Kiwi. Yes, yeah, so we want to uh, welcome you to the Team New Zealand in Japan, which is <laughs> something that I'm thinking up at the moment. It's got a hashtag and everything, so it's a thing, Team cool. New Zealand in Japan. But, yeah, you, the way that you, like you said, go out of your way to, yeah, maybe tap a Kiwi on the shoulder or 
or just let them know that you can help them out and get them into the media. That's really, really appreciated. Exactly. What are some of the the great stories that you've dug up about Kiwis in New With Zealand? Kiwis? Oh, um, well, some of them, certain person here I've written about her, her podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's a profile, a whole profile. Other times it's like, well, I'll need, I'll need a certain person to talk about something. So why not ask a Kiwi, you know? Kiwi gardeners, Kiwi, the, the person that um, was running the bungee jumps here in the uh, Turned out his, he went to a school, the same school my kids went to in high school in New Zealand, you know, all those connections. And uh, a wonderful Japanese chef who's working in New Zealand. Some, that was for a series of uh, people who left Japan to go to other countries. A man who gave up his career in, in its kind of executive uh, food business at uh, in his 50s to go over across to New Zealand with his family. And what that was like rebuilding his career in the wine industry there. Just more recently, a teenage chef, a young Japanese Kiwi teenage chef who's doing amazing things down in Yamanashi and in the world of, of using you know social media and her savvy and internet to connect with kids all over the world. Oh, wow. So um, yeah. Wonderful. Uh, this just, you know, very eclectic so much and it's all very heartwarming. I know that's a bit of a cliche and we kind of, but we're a cozy, caring community. I mean, most Kiwis will do something for Kiwis, right? And I, yes. I think that's what I like about being a Kiwi in Japan. You never lose that sense of community with other Kiwis. Mm, that's a really, really wonderful thing to say. And I think that's so true. We leave that country and we miss it. And there's ways of connecting. And I think having someone like you, who Jane rightly called a cheerleader, you're bringing people together in a really sort of subtle way too. You're not doing it in a big, big, big right. you know, fireworks, neon light. I'm not a business person. I'm a writer and I like to tell stories. That's what I do. And everyone has a story. And I'd like to think that Kiwis have particularly interesting ones. <laughs> so, Louise, any tips for people who are perhaps thinking about coming to Japan and say they want to be picked up by media in Japan to promote mm -hmm. their products or maybe whatever it is that they're doing? Right. What would you recommend to them? Well, if they're Kiwi, they can look me up. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I'm on uh, my, you know, I'm out Yay. there. So definitely um, knowing someone. I think still in Japan, it's connections are very important. Probably personal connections are more important than most people in other countries are used to. Even if you reach out to someone on social media in Japan or on a website, you still often have to follow up with a phone call. They're a little bit wary. You know, it's not like, oh, yep, great. I'll send you something for you tomorrow. So having that personal connection, I think, is still very important. Japanese people do like some kind of a um, track record. So if you can say that you've already been in the media or already got this article behind you or, you know, you've been featured somewhere, that gives you legitimacy, I think. So that doesn't really help when you haven't got your foot in the door at all. So um, cultivating, you know, the right people. Um, and obviously you have to sort of be here sometimes to do that. But certainly if I can reach out for somebody, I'll do that. And I think it's also telling the story in the right way. Uh, a lot of people want to have their products promoted, but there are ways and means of doing that. You know, this content writing, this sort of advertorial writing, this more focusing on the person behind the story than bringing the the services kind of through the back door that way um, or there's a fantastic service or product that's just so unique that that becomes the star of the of the article um, I think it's also framing it in the right way because editors obviously need to know what you're going to write about and, and how you're going to write it so it's it's not just the actual writing it's the framing and the pitching and all that as well that's important and that will differ depending who it is and what they're talking about and what the exactly. story is yeah yes exactly yeah so, Louise, I think one of the favorite things you talk about living and working in Japan is the serendipitous surprises <laughs> that I've seen you refer to, as you put it. I, I mean, I really love that expression. What does that 
serendipitous surprise mean to you? And can you give us some examples? Maybe there's even one that was a, a Kiwi example. When I sort of thought about the term originally, it was just more that, and I think you two would endorse this too, the more you live in Japan, that the more you know about Japan, the more you know you don't know. And a lot of people do come here, you know, a little bit of Japanese, you know, stay for your journey, they think they've got it down pat. And of course, you know, there's just so much to this society. And, you know, you can't say all, all Japan is this way or that way because it's not. It's such a, a huge, diverse population for a start. Um, just at a very base level, even in your local community. I mean, a lot of the communities in, in Tokyo, for example, are not planned. So you could be walking around the corner and you can see this gorgeous little temple that you didn't know was there. And then up the road, there might be this kind of art deco house. It's, you literally don't quite know it's going to be around the corner in many Japanese neighborhoods, especially older ones. And that's a real delight, just walking around any kind of town, unless it's a really planned new town, you know, where, where everything's very pristine. But if we're talking about business, often there are connections that the longer you're here, you know, the more connections you find. And when you start asking questions of people and you realize that they're really into something, perhaps that they it's totally different to their business persona or they have a collection of something. When people do something in Japan, they're very passionate about it. They'll often, you know, they'll go the whole way with with all the uh, paraphernalia that goes with collecting that item and they'll be very, very serious about it and they'll have a big wealth of knowledge. I just think that a lot of non-Japanese have this kind of image of a, Japan as a certain way just because that's the way it is promoted in the international media. And, you know, you, you find that it's not. There's so many differences, so many variations so if you allow yourself to be open to those and just to kind of ask people often, you'll find um, people have got sort of hidden stories and, and bits and pieces. That's true of anybody, of course, but I think in Japan especially, um, we we tend to think that we know Japan a certain way and that's, that's all there is to it. And that's not the case at all. Um, yeah, and you could totally use New Zealand as a way to, yeah, leverage that for your benefit as well when you come to Japan. People yeah. who love New Zealand, it's exactly. a great place to start. Yeah, and New Zealand has a great image in, in Japan too that really helps and that really breaks a lot of ice in the beginning. Most people in Japan have a favourable image of New Zealand and, and Kiwis. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit more about that image in Japan of New Zealand because, you know, all eyes recently have been on New Zealand and Japan because of Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's visit here, right. um, her leadership through the pandemic. Give us your take on the so-called rock star she's been referred to as right. well, a prime minister. Tell us what you think. I'm a huge fan. I think she is a rock star. And I, I think New Zealand, Japan, you know, even going back to, you know, when we, we were first, like, so us first arriving, there was a kinship. We're both small countries. Of course, population is much bigger here, but we're small island countries, um, somewhat similar geographically as well. You have to leave your own land to find out about other cultures. So I think there's an inbuilt curiosity and, and, and a sort of a, wonderlust about finding out about other people and cultures which sort of connects us as well I found that with many Japanese and in recent years of course the rugby the 2019 rugby cup was huge huge success I mean it argued so well for the, the Olympics and of course uh, something came along and put pay to that but sports the shared connection with sports um, you know love of fresh food and then of course we have this wonderful telegenic young extremely compassionate prime minister and just everything she's done, she's done really well. And I think in terms of the pandemic and the response to it, New Zealand and Japan were very similar. There were differences, of course, but, you know, both had very strict entry and reentry rules. But they kept the people safe. And if you look at a leader's, a country's leader's role, 
their primary role, if you cut it down to a very base level, is to protect the people. And Bogosha Sindrajan did that. So, you know, a leader with compassion, with vision, thinks about people, went the extra mile. You know, she put off her own wedding and everything. She did. She put her money where her mouth was in, and she was in it with the people, reading stories to kids, you know, on uh, on Zoom. You know, people in Japan, she's a breath of fresh air. And the politics here, of course, is very different. It's all, you know, mostly older men. <laughs> I think a lot of people are looking at our, our prime minister and thinking, you know, well, this is what it's like with a younger, I have to say, woman in charge. You know, it mm. brings good things. Mm. It's interesting. One conversation I was on today earlier, the person said that they were in a cafe and there were three women sitting at the table, just an ordinary cafe, ordinary three Japanese ladies talking about her and how they thought it was amazing that she was here and just having a general conversation about Jacinda Ardern in a cafe in Japan. And I just thought that was rather amazing, right? Yeah, that it's I come mean, to that level. She's mm. definitely got a bit of a celeb status. I think, you know, a lot of people overseas are quite awed by her and, and you know, the fact that she is who she is. She's just different. But if she can inspire women, um, especially to have conversations, you know, it just if, if that sparks an interest in New Zealand in general, well, great. You know, we have to be honest. Japan as a culture and as a business culture, especially, it's still not really where it needs to be in terms of promoting women in business. And New Zealand is head of that. And we are a, a place that Japan could learn from in that particular um, area. Mm. So if you were a New Zealander arriving in Japan for the first time, in this post-COVID or still living with COVID world, what would be some of the tips or hints you would give them so that they could be successful when they hit the ground here? Well, definitely it's a very noticeable one. As soon as you arrive here, everyone's masked. And I know that Kiwis have been pretty good about masking too, but I'd say not to the um, extent that we, we, we have here. People mask pretty much anywhere outside their home, even in their home. Some of them might mask if they have guests. You know, Japan has had a quite a long history of masking anyway. Well, before COVID, people put on a mask for hay fever or if they weren't feeling well. It was more out of courtesy to those around them or perhaps a sign that, look, I'm not having a great day. I'm feeling a bit under the weather. So wearing a mask has been sort of not a big deal for most Japanese. They're used to it from childhood. But obviously this sort of almost constant masking in the business place, in the universities, in the schools, children from age six, you know, masking. And I think a lot of Kiwis might be a little bit surprised by that. And of course, Japan's summer is very hot. So if you're coming here in the in the uh, in the summer weather, you will probably want to have a lot of masks because you know you want to change it every few hours. Mm. And a very uh, lightish kind of one. A very lightish one. Yeah. That's and so um, yeah. people wear them properly too. They don't pull them down below their nose. I mean, most people have just they follow rules here. And if the rule is something that you know can help everyone get along and, and protect people, they will follow it. Um, so it's also very difficult to read people's expressions, of course, if you've got a mask, you can only see the eyes. So I think you need to be extra careful with your communication, extra clear with your, if you don't speak Japanese, then with your English, because they're not going to be able to see your mouth and your muffled as well. So um, I think that's probably the biggest one that people will find. Um, but, you know, when in Rome, Rome, it's the same. You, you follow the rules. And I think people in Japan are very appreciative of people coming um, and, and, and fitting and following the rules. It's, it's a sign of respect, right? You know, I think generally Kiwis do do that. So, Yeah. Anything else? You know, masking is one something you'll notice like with your eyes, right? You can see, oh, everyone's right. got a mask on. I should probably put one on too. Is there anything else that people might not notice because it's not so obvious? 
this is probably something you, you you wouldn't really notice if you hadn't been here before. But if you came to Japan before the pandemic, um, you'll certainly notice that Japan has really switched a lot to using technology now. You know, most people who are here before the pandemic would, would agree that Japan is very much a face-to-face, meeting-based yes, society. Yes. Everything you have a meeting. If you're coming here a business, probably your first few days are just constant rounds of going around and greeting people and having meetings with half the people you probably won't see again and people that you think, well, why did I need to meet with that person? But it's building that network, getting yourself out there. You know, it's getting your face known. That's all part of that kind of building the roots of the business before you go forward. And a lot of that, I think, has disappeared just because if they can help it, they don't want to meet because they feel safer. There'll be more online meetings. There'll be more perhaps just brief things. Instead of having the whole team, you might just have the very key person. In a way, that aligns more with the Western way of doing business, I suppose. That's not to say that connecting is not important. I think you still need to mm. try to find the right people, the right names, make sure that you do get yourself out there, that it might not be in quite the same way it was before. Great. Anything else, Louise, that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about? Any last words from you? Mm. Well, it's been a long two years for yeah. <laughs> most of us here in Japan and certainly in New Zealand as well. If anyone out there in New Zealand is listening, I really hope you can get over to Japan soon. There's a lot waiting for you and vice versa. People who are in Japan and want to go to New Zealand, I hope uh, there's an opportunity for you to do so because at heart, we're both small island countries and, you know, we do have a lot in common. Yes. So, we've yeah. certainly played well together so far. That's for we sure. Have, we have. And I, I do, I think there definitely is a little bit of a sense of we are sort of brothers and sisters under the, under it all. This just seems to be a built-in rapport somehow that we, we have. And I think it's, it's lovely. And I think that says a lot for New Zealand to what kind of country and people we are. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do that? I'm on Facebook or you can get in touch with me through the articles. There's often a place of comment or through the editor, write to the editor and say I want to get in contact. People don't seem to have any trouble finding me. LinkedIn is always there too. <laughs> Good old LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my work comes through sort of people who've seen my work on, on other, other media and get in touch. So it's all about connections. I really think that's yeah. It's all about connections, whether it's old-fashioned connections, you know, saw an article in the meet, in the paper or, or saw it <laughs> it's on. It's a valid, valid way to connect with someone, right? Yeah, well, it is. School. And, <laughs> yeah, old school. The newspapers here are still, you know, they're still going, I think more so than in other countries. So, yeah, yeah Japan, uh, value, they value traditions here, don't they? I mean, they have this image of being really quick to adapt new, new technology. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> to, to invent new technology, maybe not to adapt it, but... Japanese people value tradition and um, you know history. You know they're careful to preserve that as much as possible. So I think you know the good old things are still there's still value in knowing those. So you know don't write something off just because it's it's not particularly new or it's been around a while. Like yes, us. like the good old fax machine still hanging in <laughs> well, there, right? Yeah, yeah, the fax machine. But you know there are times when it's been handy. That was the only way you could contact somebody. So we've still got one. Really. <laughs> Who no, do you do fax? It's yeah, built, you don't into use a, built into a phone, so ah, not I see. Yeah, right. built. It's part of the landline. No, I don't. I don't have a fax anymore. Oh, you still have a landline. We, we still have a landline. Fax yeah. you after this. We'll fax you. Yeah, no, you please fax me. The, yeah, fax me the um the uh draft of the interview. Yeah. No, no. Fun. I mean, I don't think I've actually had a fax recently, but now and then there is somebody, an older person or or, or, or a business that doesn't have any other way of getting contact. So you fax them. I think it was for funeral flowers, actually. It's a bit, bit morose, but it was for a funeral flowers that I needed to send. And you you had to send the details to them by fax. So it's like, yes, I have a fax. 
Even the bar association here used to send me the monthly newsletter by fax, and oh, it would yes. go, it, but it would go off at eleven or twelve, you know, eleven p.m. Twelve. Oh, I know. I used to hate so that. when I renewed, I said, "No, I don't have a fax anymore." <laughs> so um, I now receive the fax news by postal mail. Oh mm, goodness! Oh wow! Well. Go. <laughs> you know, this is this is a complete example of you know someone had to print that out, yes. <laughs> put it in an envelope, and send it to you. I exactly. know. I think, it, you know, before people come to email lists here in Japan, that's only been a, a recent thing, hasn't it? They used to have fax lists. And, yeah, like you said, one in the morning you get a phone call and you think, oh, my gosh, what's happened? Because as a Kiwi in Japan, your first thing, 1 o'clock in the morning, something must have happened back home, right? So you rush down home or with your kids or whatever and you grab the, the phone. And the fact, and oh, big sale. Oh, bugger this, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Louise, thank you so much. Congratulations oh on being a very successful Jandal in Japan and for telling us today about your journey and all these tips that you've shared with us. Thank you so much. Oh, I hope it was helpful. It was wonderful to speak with you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Louise. Okay. See you. Bye. Bye. Well, it was really great to have a member of Team New Zealand in Japan come on the show and talk to us today about the media and things in Japan and just Louise's generosity and the way that she really tries hard to shine a light on Kiwis is very gratefully received. And thank you, Louise, for all the work that you've done for, for me in particular. She's She's been a great supporter of mine. And yeah, it's just great to have someone who is doing work for, for Kiwis out there in the media. That's so true. I mean, she called out, didn't she, that she'd had you featured in the newspaper. And that article she wrote about you was really tremendous because she delved into, you know, the heart that is you and all that you bring to your business and your life and helping people here is you are also Team New Zealand in Japan. And I loved that she did that. So she really showed her true colours today, I think, by explaining how she loves helping Kiwis here. And she's a real great source for people to go to. Definitely. I was very interested to hear the differences between coming to Japan and especially for Louise, she's been back in New Zealand. So she knows what it's like over there, you know, since COVID kicked off, I have not been back. I have only been here in Japan. So to hear her differences between what she's experienced from when she was actually in New Zealand and being here in Japan with what people need to be doing and the rules that we need to be following. And even if you don't agree, please just follow them because this is not the time and place to protest about things. We really need New Zealanders to be welcomed in Japan and by following the rules that are in place here, even if you don't agree, that really, really helps all of us in our daily lives and in our businesses here. So, so take one for the team. For the take team one for the team. You're so right there, Jane. I think we might feel that we need to be just, you know, free and easy and um, not follow the rules here, but we do need to be, you know, I think we talked about being a tidy Kiwi. Uh, in the past and that's something that we've grown up with and we need to be doing that here towing the line now there's this real easing of masks in the street but i'm still seeing mm. people wearing them mm. my foreign yeah. friends are also wearing them still it feels weird to take them off and quite honestly you know that's what we should be doing if you're seeing japanese people wearing them in your midst then do mm. the same you know yeah. copy what mm. you see because that's what people are really abiding by yeah i think like just the level of care and yeah. the level of pressure that the average Japanese person has put themselves under through COVID has been horrendous mm. compared to, and I know people all over the world have gone through COVID, but your average Japanese person has 
really put a lot of effort into staying safe, trying to protect their family, protecting other people. So the, if they're being a little reluctant to go back to normal, I can see why. They have oh, put totally. so much work into this over the last two years. And mm. I really noticed that difference, you know, going between here, being in Sweden, where it was a little bit more relaxed, um, you know, yeah. what, whatever your thoughts are on that, that is how the average Japanese person has led their life in the last two years. So, yeah, this is why yeah. they're being a little bit more reluctant to go That's back true. to the no- new normal. And that they are meeting in person. I mean, I had a meeting this week where we were in person around a big board table, boardroom table, uh, but we all had masks on across the table. So you mm. need to expect that you are still going to be meeting with your business counterparts mm-hmm. are wearing a mask and mm. nobody's saying, take it, take your mask off. They'll take their jacket off. And many of them did have jackets off and no, no ties on, but still wearing their masks. Mm. So it's really important mm. to know that. Well, we have more wonderful jandals coming for you soon. And it's it's nearly jandal season here in Japan. It's getting, getting wow, close it to summer. Too. Better get yeah. one. Uh, I get a new pair or a, 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 my first pair, perhaps. <laughs> well, you know, your flash going out jandals, not you're just yes. you're bumming around home in the garden jandals. Yeah. Yes, I do have the flash ones. I do, have but I don't have ones. the run of the mill ones. I need okay. to get some. Yeah. Alrighty, so we'll see you again soon. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our guests' links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne!